Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Positive Politics, where together we will tackle all of the crazy events occurring in our political atmosphere and consider how we can address these events and change our country for the better and create a better political environment. Today, we will continue with part two of my conversation with Ron Meyer. In this episode, we transition to national politics and analyze the upcoming 2020 election from a neutral, objective point of view. Hope you guys enjoy. So you, you were saying that it may not be uh, the smartest choice to pick Biden, but have the Democrats ever really been able to win with, with like an extreme, like a hard left agenda? They like they've always won by being a little bit more centrist until Obama came um, and he was able to build that coalition. Um, but you think that could have been like a blip and the normal like like Clinton type. Um, centrist agenda is really where the, the country it's that it's so hard to say it's so hard to say because you're talking like presidential elections only happen one every four years and since since I was born there's only been two democratic presidents right President Clinton and President Obama and so you really only have two two examples yeah. in the last 30 years so it's hard to say and if you remember yeah, and you have to remember Bill Clinton's first election um, he only won because it was a three-rate race yeah. right and so it's hard to say that that's not that, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to really say that, or to make it sort of that black and white. I think that there's, that, cause there's a little bit of a third variable. It's not just whether, are you pragmatic or are you radical? It's, do you get people excited? Right. Yeah. It's like Ronald Reagan, obviously someone who was pretty darn conservative. He got people excited and uh, that were conservative, right. To come out and vote. But he also sounded reasonable and logical and was able to communicate his ideas to to bring in a broad swath of people and that's sort of what president obama did too during his campaigns right where he wasn't yeah he was pretty he's very very progressive but the way he communicated uh was broader than where his policy positions were um, yeah and that was effective so it's not necessarily just a linear it's not just a linear equation of are you are you centrist then you can win or are you uh, radical and then you're going to lose there's a little bit more dynamism to it than that um and you know i think it also depends what your electorate is right right now the electorate for the presidential election is essentially like seven to ten swing states you know for me it was you know loudon county and prince william county in the state senate race and it was just the republicans in those places right for my board of supervisors races it was everyone in ashburn mm -hmm. and so what message gets your base excited to turn out for you while also appealing to those in the middle or in the other parties? That's, that's been the tough thing to do. And if you look at someone like a Joe Biden, he's definitely not getting his base excited to vote for him. Yeah. They're only excited because they're excited to vote against the president. And then as far as reaching out to the middle, they're trying to do that, but it's more in like a platitude way where it's like, you know, you vote for respect or vote for, you know, putting pride back in the office of the president. And I think that that's essentially just another way of saying vote for me because I have, I'm a little bit, I have a better temperament than Trump. But the problem is that doesn't really necessarily match Joe Biden's past, who has been like one of the most gaff prone politicians in the last 40 years. Um, and so it's sort of like you're putting up, you're almost putting up the Democrats version of, it's obviously not to that, to that as an extreme. Yeah. It's not like Joe Biden. It's not like, Comparison. It's not like Joe Biden's on Twitter. Well, to be fair, though, I mean, it's easy when Joe Biden hasn't been out in public for four years and remains in his basement for most of this campaign. 
But if, if you recall the times when he was senator and he was running for president, it was almost a weekly gaffe. He had to drop out of running the presidential race in 1988 yeah. because he lied about his education uh, yeah. multiple times. He lied about, um, about a whole host of things. And he also had a, a plagiarism scandal, right? And then since then, as senator, you know, like I can go on a huge list of gaffes where he just goes off the cuff and says stuff that you shouldn't as an elected official. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, obviously the president's out there saying very radical things every day on Twitter. Press conferences get crazy too. But I'm just saying, if you were to put, if, if you were to try to say, okay, well, who's going to be a contrast to Donald Trump? Right. You know, you have two old white men who uh, are sort of known for speaking their mind, right? Now, of course, Trump, like I said, definitely more, more known for that than than Biden, but there's not much of a, there's not a good enough contrast. Like you, you want someone, in my opinion, if you're a Democrat, who's energetic, young, fresh ideas, calm, uh, well put together, you know, like that's why people love President Obama. Like President Obama is more of the anti, is more of the anti-Trump. And that's why I kind of thought that he would pick someone like Michelle Obama. And people also, you know, do remind me from time to time that one of the reasons why President Trump got elected was because of President Obama and that sort of mentality. But I'm just saying the communication style, I think, would be much more effective um, if trying to say what we need to do is bring level-headedness back to the presidency. When I think about level-headedness, I don't necessarily think about Joe Biden over his, the life of his service in government. Yeah, I think the, the more it's like trying to characterize as the gaps as mistakes those aren't um, really what, what he thinks and more of just his, his character and like personal um, testimonies from other elected officials just like how he's a good person. Like, well, the DNC has done a good job with that. The convention has done a good job that. doing that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what do you think would be if Bernie won? Do you think that would improve the Democrats' chance of winning or? That's like an interesting roll of the dice. I think conventional wisdom, conventional political wisdom says that if Bernie Sanders was the nominee, then Trump would win because Bernie's too radical, right? That's sort of conventional wisdom. I actually think Bernie would have had a really good chance of winning. And that's not because I want, would ever want someone like Bernie Sanders in the White House. I mean, I think that his, his brand of socialism would destroy America, the American dream as we know it today uh, for everybody. Um, and so, but I think he would have had a great chance of winning because I think a lot of people really buy into his logic and his logic, I think has broad appeal and he gets young people really excited to vote. And I think brings in new voters, pretty similar to what president Trump did in 2016, where he brought in sort of new voters in the Republican party, got the Republicans really fired up. And that was sort of his way of winning and especially appeal to the Rust Belt. That's basically what Bernie does on the other side. Yeah. And, and then maybe then some, because the young voters are really people who undervote. And if you can get those people to turn out in high numbers, you can really win. Um, and that, I think socialism and the idea of free health care um, and, you know, having a guaranteed right to housing, a guaranteed right to basically everything. You know, I think at, uh, at first glance, the folks who sort of don't understand what those topics, what, what that actually means once that happens. Um, it sounds really nice at first. And I think that they haven't had a candidate, they, the Democrats haven't had a candidate that communicates socialism as well as Bernie does for a long time. And so if he would have been the nominee, I think he would have actually had a decent chance of winning. Maybe more than Biden. Interesting. 
what are your thoughts on the the tactics Trump's Trump is using? Like, I don't know if you've seen his ads on YouTube. He is, it, it's really just per, it's just trying to find every single personal attack instead of trying to like debate him on policy and just like. Uh, I don't know. It, it kind of like this last one was kind of like a horror movie. He was just like, um, like Joe Biden is just going to destroy America. Joe, Boy- Joe Biden is going to destroy God. Like, do, do you think that's just Trump's brand? Do you think that's really effective? Yeah, I can't imagine uh, say, saying that Joe Biden is going to hurt God is uh, all that impactful. Um, I think Trump's biggest challenge right now with his messaging is that it's all over the place, right? I think that, you know, certainly the economic message is still pretty clear that, hey, before COVID, we were really economically roaring. And, you know, even, even since COVID struck, we're recovering really, really quickly. Um, that's sort of his economic message. That makes, that makes sense. Um, as far as his attacks on Biden, they are all over the place and not consistent. Right. There's a lot of things. And and that's kind of the issue. There's a lot to attack on Biden, but they really need to try to narrow it down before October as far as what their main message is going to be. The only thing that's been consistent is like sort of the mental cognitive ability stuff, which isn't necessarily what you want your lead attack to be, even though I think everybody kind of um, anybody that uh, and Biden's done a really good job sort of sheltering himself. But I think anybody that sort of had to see him campaign during the primary sort of sympathizes potentially with that sentiment. but also not necessarily something i think is going to be a definitive reason to vote against somebody you know um and so i think trump needs to more focus his message on what his accomplishments are and then really find the top two or three things in biden's past or record that are the definitive reasons not to vote for biden Um, yeah or even to segment you know you can segment your audiences and say this is why this group of people shouldn't vote for him this is why this other group but it's been very scatterbrained just kind of like it's twitter account where it's just all over the place all the time um and like listen it's one thing for us to say that it worked in 2016 and so it's one of those things where i tend to give president trump's strategy the benefit of the doubt until it's proven to not work because everything that he did in 2016 i thought was stupid just for yeah. the record. Everything he did in 2016, I thought was stupid. And he won, right? And yeah. so, you know, we could sit here and say, well, from like a strategy perspective, this doesn't make sense, or this doesn't make sense, or this makes me angry. But just from, I'm just, and I'm just talking not from like a pro or anti Trump position. I'm just talking about from like an analytical perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's easy to say, well, he's losing in the polls in these places. Okay. Well, he was losing in the polls even worse in 2016, or about where he was in 2016. Uh, yeah. And so that's, that's sort of the thing is that we can criticize Trump and his tactics a lot, but I will always say that, you know, he proved us all wrong in 16 and he could do it again in 20 and I wouldn't be surprised. But do you think that just amping up the, the division and like pitting Americans against one another, like just overall, not from like an, an uh, analytic point of view of that, will that help Trump win? Just like from a, from a more of just like moral American point of view, do you think that like it, it's getting like because politics is always divisive. But do you think like it's getting like kind of ridiculous of just? Well, I think Trump's more, I guess, direct or honest about it. I mean, I think that both parties have done it for a long time, especially the other side of the aisle has done it for a really long time. Um, but Trump is definitely more direct about it. But I also think that people choose sound bites that sort of heighten 
of that as well, as far as how the media covers him and how, you know, it's not, he makes it easy for him, but like, don't get me wrong. But I do think that the coverage that the, that the media, especially that circulated via smartphones like Apple news and, and the rest tend to really, and Twitter really paint a picture that's not necessarily reflective of reality. Um, And so, you know, but I think that's, that's not necessarily, all their fault. I think that the way the president decides to communicate is obviously within his, within his control as well. But, you know, I also, I also don't necessarily buy into that. He's like actively, he's like uh, openly trying to get people to like hate each other or anything like that. I think that that's probably a little bit of an exaggeration. Um, But I can understand why people think that way. Uh, Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Like presidents before him do not like, directly say like those people are bad or like his his go-to phrase is like the radical left is trying to destroy america like they no one no one like ever like actually like goes out and like says that repeatedly over and over again listen like trying to defend everything trump says i think is a little bit absurd but the idea that he's like purposefully trying to get americans to hate each other i think is also not necessarily that's not like his intended goal. His intended goal is to like fire up his base to vote for him. And I don't think that the, and I don't think that the left has done anything to try to be more embracing of people who support Trump as far as being nice to them, right? Like you, you had Hillary Clinton talk about a vast right-wing conspiracy. You have plenty of Democratic politicians calling all Trump supporters racist um, and, and homophobic and all of these things, even though there's a massive LGBT support group for the president and a huge, uh, diversity coalition behind them as well. Um, and if you look at Trump before he was president, he was mentioned in like a hundred rap songs and was a culture figure that crossed race, race and party lines. And so I totally get why people view the president the way they do. And he brings a lot of that upon himself. However, I think we also have to take a step back and say, does the coverage also change the way we perceive some of those things as well? And, you know, until he stops tweeting, I think people are going to continue viewing the president that way. Uh, And I think it's just because his tweets and some of his sound bites, you know, aren't, aren't what you, what aren't what we are used to from hearing from a president. However, like, again, the caveat is, that's also a reason why a lot of people support him. And that's a big reason why he won in 2016. And so I don't necessarily love that about the country. Right. And so it kind of goes back to our conversation about the Republican party, right. Where we started this. Yeah. Is that like what fires them, what fires up people to vote right now are sort of like the lightning rods and Trump does a really good job touching those lightning rods off. And so from like an effect, from an efficacy position, one could say maybe it's effective in this day and age. Now, your question was really about morality. Is it good it, for the country? Is it at the? I would say, I would say no. Yeah. Right? I would say no, and I would also say that you know the way the president, the way that the Democrats are trying to attack Trump supporters isn't going to unify the country either. And so we have to be striving better to try to raise the level of rhetoric and not in a hypocritical way too. Cause I feel like it's a little bit hypocritical on the democratic side to basically say, we want to bring, you know, we want to bring unity back to the country and then say some of the things they do about president supporters, right? Because the president supporters at the end of the day, I think we're 50 some odd million people in 2016, probably going to be about the same this time around. 
And so at the end of the day, if the, if the president loses, we're going to have to find a way to try to remake politics in a way that is better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, the way the Democrats are treating Trump supporters, if the president were to lose, I think his movement lives on because of the, this battle. Right. If you have a battle, you have two consolidated sides and whether or not you kill the general, you still have the army. Of course. And that's the problem is that this battle has created these divided sides. Right. Well, um, so Hillary obviously in 2016 called the Trump supporters deplorables. And um, I feel like Biden hasn't really um, done anything to alienate Trump supporters unless there's something I'm missing. Do you think he, his appeal can, um, and the Democrats are like in the DNC committee, they kept on talking about unity and it seems like they kind of realized that they kind of made a mistake by alienating um, like the, those Rust Belt Trump supporters in 2016. And now they're like trying to make a, an active attempt to, to win them back. And um, Biden seems like that, that open, open tent guy that he will, he will embrace them too. Uh, do you think? He's uh, try- pulling that off pretty well, or just it's going to depend. I don't think Biden. I, yeah, I agree with you that the platitudes are there, but like if I'm like a Rust Belt voter who voted for the president in 2016 and I'm watching that, it's just like it's all platitudes. It's all stuff that's sort of like empty outreach. You know, there's not a lot of like substantive policy stuff that reaches out to those people. And I think what the president's going to argue is that Joe Biden was a huge reason and driving force between uh, of many trade deals and a lot of yeah. economic policy that totally destroyed the Rust Belt. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and that's policy, right? That's like actual like policy and whether or not that, whether or not that argument is correct, it's at least on policy. Yeah. Right. Biden's Biden's appeal to the Midwest is I'm your guy. I'm like you. I lived a life like you and therefore like support me because like you like me, you know? And that's yeah. sort of what the whole DNC has been about is like, like, like Biden, cause he's a good guy and he's like one of us and he's one of the, you know, like he's just like a red blooded American who's been through hard times. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a decent message. But I think in like a political campaign like this in 2020, it's going to have to have one more layer of depth and maybe they'll be able to add it, you know? Um, yeah. But that's just, that's just my perspective on that. But like I said, I get why everybody's praising that, that tactic and it's certainly better than what Hillary Clinton was doing. And so maybe it's better. It's, it's just good enough to be, to make up the difference. You know, those few, you know, those tens of thousands of votes that Hillary lost that cost her the election. Yeah. I mean, I was listening um, to Andrew Yang speak, uh, speak about this and uh, he was, his argument in 2016 was um, it was more Hillary alienating them so much that all Trump really had to do was just say, look guys, like I hear you. And I will, uh, I will try to help you guys. And obviously, um, now he has policy to back that up. But um, what Yang was saying is like Trump didn't really like go hard at them with like a clear, concrete message. Like I'm going to improve your life by X, Y, and Z. Um, he didn't have to go as extreme of like detailing how because Trump's whole entire also his entire. Yeah, message I don't know. If, I don't know if I agree not. with that though. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I think Trump's messaging on trade, on an immigration, um, and and uh, especially those two topics and the border, exactly resonated with those people in the Midwest, right? 
So yeah, from like true. so like anti NAFTA, I'll tell you, auto workers, union workers, those people in the Rust Belt hate NAFTA, hated a lot of the Chinese trade deals. Trump would talk about that in every single speech. And it's not necessarily he laid out like the most detailed plans, but you know, he was very anti those things. And frankly, if you look at his presidency, he helped fix a couple of those things too. Um, and then, you know, if you look at immigration, uh, he's really been one of the only candidates on either side of the aisle to talk about trying to sort of limit immigration overall rather than just illegal immigration. Obviously, he's been super anti-illegal immigration. And for, for folks who feel like, for like I said, and this is taking away the merits of the arguments on trade or on immigration, for people who feel like they may have lost their jobs to immigrants or whose jobs have been shipped overseas, those arguments do resonate well. And so it's, it's beyond just Trump saying like, I'm with you. Like there are some, whether, whether or not they're shallow, right? There's still some arguments that really resonated with people beyond just like Hillary's trying to kill coal country, Hillary's bad, she's not likable, so vote for me because I'm with you. Yeah, you know? what I was trying to get at more um, there is, the Democrats could have tried to bring up a, a competing message of how to appeal to those people. I mean, Bernie had a message of had a policy message of how he was going to help the the Rust Belt totally. types of people. Um, so what I was really trying to say is because um, usually, like when you appeal to a group of people, like the Democrats have their way to help you guys, the Republicans have their way to help you guys. It seemed like with the Rust Belt, um, the only person who was really saying like, "I want to help you guys" is Trump. Well, and so and what's so what's Biden's message to the Midwest? I guess that's my bigger question. Is that I agree yeah. that they want to reach out to the Rust Belt and the places they lost. What that message is, is what I'm wondering, you know? Yeah, are they bringing up, because he's not going to Bernie's extent and supporting those policies much either. Well, Bernie and Trump are pretty darn similar on trade. I mean, Bernie would criticize like how Trump talks about stuff, but like fundamentally on trade, they kind of are pretty similar. Yeah. Um, And then obviously Bernie, yeah, Bernie adds an element of like socialism on top of that, like guaranteed wages and things like that, that sort of help buttress that sort of argument. And Trump sort of adds the immigration angle. So Bernie's still pretty open borders, right? And Trump's closed borders, plus, you know, still have immigration, but only allow the best and brightest rather than this whole wave of people, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think that's, that's the interesting thing. Like I said, not, I'm not arguing the merits on any of it. I'm just saying just from like a pure strategic perspective, I w- I'm trying to see and forecast what the Democrats' message really is beyond like Trump, beyond the same arguments they're making against Trump in 2016, which didn't work. Yeah, I guess we will just have to wait and see. Well, unfortunately, that is all we have for today. Thanks so much, Ron. Your insight was amazing, and I'm sure the audience will appreciate it. And to the audience, stay tuned for part three coming out soon, where we will dive deeper into the national party polarization harming our country today. I hope you guys enjoyed, and I'll see you guys next time.